Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I am joined by Chris Schutte. We are coming to you live from Dayton, Ohio, and the first four here at UD Arena. As we are recording this, it is Wednesday afternoon, so we had the first two games of the NCAA tournament play out yesterday. We will have two more coming up here tonight. So last night we watched... Fairleigh Dickinson defeat Prairie View A&M 82-76. And then Belmont beating Temple. It was really a game of runs, an exciting one down the stretch. Belmont coming away with the win and proving they are worthy of that at-large bid. So, Chris, we've been in Dayton now for a couple of days. What are your first impressions of this place as a site, of the first four in general, and what we've seen so far? Uh, the site as a whole, I think, is it's really nice. The arena's great. The staff here has been fantastic. Um, everybody's super nice, super helpful. Um, the games itself were both really good. Uh, Fairly Dis- uh, Dickinson had a great comeback um, in the second half against Prairie View. And then, uh, like you said, Belmont getting that big win over Temple um, in a game that was a game of runs. And... It was really exciting, not just for for us and you know for the Belmont fan base that made the trip up here. Um, I think it was definitely really rewarding for them to see their team come away with a win and move on to the round of sixty four. Yeah, and we saw a lot of Belmont fans actually make the trip here. They they came out in huge numbers. It was actually it was really great to see. So now that we have been here. For a little bit, we've seen two games. Um, a lot of interesting, like little things happening here. Nothing that's really going to change the whole foundation of the NCAA tournament by any stretch. Um, but I guess one place we can start is with that Belmont game yesterday. You wrote about it. You talked to some of the players after the game. Uh, Dylan Windler did not have his best game, but. Uh, Kevin McLean certainly did. Had a season-high 29 points. Uh, Nick Buzinski, whose status was questionable in the days leading up to uh, leading up to their first four game last night, didn't look great physically, but played really well. Uh, finished, I believe, with 15 points. Uh, so Belmont got contributions uh, when they needed it, and they were able to gut out a really good win. Yeah, and I think that kind of just goes to show you why Belmont is so good that even when their best player um, might not be having a great night scoring the ball, they still have so many other pieces that can hurt you. Like Muzinski had a really good game uh, down low. Obviously, McLean scoring 29 points. Grayson Murphy had a couple moments where he made some really big shots for them. Um, Belmont's a dangerous team, and I think they proved that last night. And um, Kind of the main main storyline of the piece I wrote was they kind of proved that they belonged in the NCAA tournament um you know I asked some of the players um after the game if there was kind of a sense of validation or vindication um from getting put into the field and they said that there there kind of was they they wanted to prove that you know there's really good mid-major teams in the country and they kind of took it upon themselves to kind of carry that flag um last night and moving forward for the rest of the tournament yeah, I, th- I think I think you put it perfectly. Uh, 
in fact, a couple of times players actually kind of use the phrase carrying the banner of the mid-major. So seeing them get the win, you know, people are going to say, well, your performance in the tournament doesn't necessarily justify being included. Um, And yeah, fine. We've said that too. But it's a much better look when you come away with the win than the loss, especially against a team like Temple from a bigger conference. Next up, now Belmont plays Maryland. They've been a trendy upset pick uh, even before last night's game, before we knew that they would win. Um, how do you like their chances against Maryland? I think I think this is a really good matchup for them. Yeah, I agree. I uh, in my bracket, I picked Belmont to go to the Sweet Sixteen, so I obviously like them. But I, I think Belmont's a team that can kind of match up with whoever and can can hurt you from where, wherever they need to on the floor based on mismatches. Um, Maryland's obviously got a great front court and Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith, but. I, when I asked Nick Musinski last night um, how he's going to prepare for Bruno, he said, you know, he's just got to make sure he's ready to kind of be physical on the post, make sure he stays on his feet, stay out of foul trouble. But, you know, on the flip side, Maryland's also got to prepare for Nick Musinski and, and Belmont. And, you know, Belmont runs such a, a good offense and Rick Bird's such a good coach. You know, that's not easy to prepare for on such short notice. And you, you, you can kind of play the – the side of saying you know Belmont's already had a game in the NCAA tournament they're kind of in rhythm um so that could be working in their favor and we've seen I feel like it's been every year since this particular format has gone into place that a team that comes out of the first four moves on to the round of or the second round or round 32. Yeah and and Belmont is certainly a lot of people's pick to do it uh now the first game we watched last night was the two 16 seeds. It was fairly Dickinson and Prairie View A&M. Um, this was probably a lot of the country's introduction to those two schools. They're obviously not on national TV very often. I believe they each probably got like an ESPN U game at some point, just with the deals that the SWAC and the Northeast Conference have with ESPN. But for the most part, no one had ever really seen them play. Um, something that I liked from this game was that both teams sort of had their moments to shine uh, which is really all you could ask when the two 16 seeds get together to play because you know that even in the best case scenario the winner is about to go get stomped by a one seed um, so you know outside of the game Prairie View showed exactly what we knew they were good at which is being pesky all over the place on defense and forcing a lot of turnovers. I think they forced 10 FDU turnovers in the first 10 or so minutes. And they were able to build a nice lead with that. They also started hitting shots, which isn't exactly uh, their strong point. But they were falling. And then FDU came back in the second half with big performances from two of their best players in Darnell Edge and Jalen Jenkins. Yeah. And like you said, both teams kind of had their moments. It was kind of a tale of two halves first half prairie view they come out like just flying all over the place i think i like leaned over you a couple times during the game and said like oh my god like these dudes are insane like they're they're so active on defense and they put so much pressure on you and then in the second half like julia uh julia jenkins and darnell edge were absolutely fantastic scoring the ball um hitting big shots and it was a ton of fun to watch and you know even though they, they're they going to probably get stomped by um, 
the one seed in the matchup. I think this is kind of a good segue is this should still count for something. It's still the NCAA tournament. Um, there were a few people online last night saying that these games don't actually count and the real tournament starts Thursday. You try telling that to the players here and ask them if this doesn't mean anything. Yeah, if you don't know what Chris was referring to, it's very shortly after Belmont won its game. Some fan tweeted at Dan Wolken about it because Wolken had been um, kind of bashing Belmont, saying that they're just all, they're always the trendy upset pick and it never happens and it's just a media love fest where it shouldn't be. Uh, so a fan had tweeted at him and Wolken said, well, the real tournament starts on Thursday. This doesn't count. Um, we're here. We, we see the March Madness signage everywhere. Uh, we see NCAA tournament in March Madness written everywhere. Uh, we saw the fans after that game, um, after both games, I should say, just over the moon happy um, for the teams that have won. I mean, there is no way you could argue that this doesn't count. I mean, there's first of all, there's the financial aspect, yeah, which is, the, the yeah, the money's coming in. Winning the game, you get that extra NCAA tournament unit. And if you think that doesn't mean anything, particularly to Fairleigh Dickinson, um, well, then you just don't know anything about how small conference college athletics works. So that means something. Um, walking into the Belmont press conference last night, or as I was walking off the floor, there was a Belmont fan literally hanging over the railing, like right over the tunnel, bawling, absolutely crying and yelling, we made history, we made history, because this was Belmont's first NCAA tournament win. So, you know, if you if you want to poo-poo it because... Belmont's win didn't fit the dumb narrative you were making up. Well, that's fine. But just know you are the only person who believes that. And I think since this tournament moved to its current format and got rid of just the single play-in game like it used to have, I think this has become an actual real tournament site. Uh, We saw it on the practice day when we came in. Teams have their open practices. The fans are here. The bands are here playing for them press conferences all of that then game day comes it's the same thing this feels i've done first second round sites before i've done regional sites before this feels no different from that this is as much a part of the ncaa tournament uh as you can be and it it was so fun to kind of be wrapped up in it for a little while just watching the celebrations of both of the winning teams it's not just the teams itself that travel here i mean we saw people wearing Dayton attire we saw people I saw a few people wearing Duke attire Cincinnati attire I mean mean the arena itself was I'm not sure if it was a sellout but it was it was pretty close like um it's just a great event for for college basketball and I agree with you if if you want to be the person to kind of denigrate it and put it down then that's more of a you problem because (laughs) this means it means a hell of a lot to these programs to, to be here and we heard from, um, you know, a couple of the coaches saying that, you know, we're just thankful for the opportunity to kind of be in this situation with the chance to advance and, uh, despite, you know, not being in the traditional field of 64. You know, it's it's still the NCAA tournament and anything can happen and you kind of have to make the most of the opportunity and, and do what you can do. Yeah, and, and that's another thing. When you're talking about 
the 16 seeds who don't play on TV very often, um, this is almost better for them than playing, you know, say at 2 o'clock on Thursday when there are three other games going on. And, and the coaches made a note of that um, in, in the press conferences, you know, saying, hey, at 6.40 on Tuesday or at 6.40 on Wednesday, we are the only game happening in the NCAA tournament. All eyes are on us. And what that does for the profile of the men's basketball team and the university as a whole is is really not something to be undervalued. And it's something that the coaches are aware of. And it's one reason why um, a lot of people that I've talked to here with the 16-seeded teams really do enjoy being sent here. This isn't seen as a punishment necessarily for being one of the last teams into the field. Yeah, I think Lavelle Moten kind of has specifically kind of has the right mindset about every uh, everything going on here. I mean, they've they've been here for three straight years, and I think he said in his press conference um, yesterday or on Tuesday that you know this is a lot of people's introduction to North Carolina Central, and you know the basketball program is kind of the face face of the school for however long that they're in the NCAA tournament and for them to kind of get their moment in the spotlight. Um, I mean, we've seen what that can do for, for college basketball teams, uh, not just these 16 seeds. Like, look at UMBC last year. Look at Florida Gulf Coast a couple of years ago. Like, you'll take any chance you can get to kind of have your moment in the spotlight. And, and I think they're in a unique situation, um, which Moten touched on and, you might be able to elaborate better on this is that they don't wish like they don't wish for this to go away. Um, but there, there is some downside to having your program in the spotlight, you know, moving forward. Yeah. So to just touch on a couple of things that you said, first of all, Lavelle, you're absolutely right. He, he said it, a couple of times at, at his press conference, you know, I'm not complaining about being sent here for the reasons that we said, you know, raising the profile of your school, what have you. And we see, we, we kind of read a story about it every year where, you know, X school goes on a Cinderella run and their application, number of applications they get skyrockets the next year. I think Florida Gulf Coast was a great example of that when they made their Sweet 16 run. And that's also rolled over into their other athletic programs. Now their women's basketball team is the class of the ASUN. Um, and I don't think that's a coincidence. And you could say the same about the Gonzaga women's basketball team in the West Coast Conference. Um, I think there is absolutely um, a correlation there. Um, but anyway, the, the benefits are there. Um, they've all talked about them. Lavelle Moten also, though, did say because I, I had asked him specifically about the MEAC champion and the SWAC champion, the two HBCUs uh, traditionally being sent to Dayton, at least one, if not both, every year. And I just asked him if he thought it was fair or not. And, you know, you look at Ken Palm, you look at the net, those schools will pretty much every year be among the last four, the bottom four teams. So, like, by definition, it would make sense to send them here. Um, and, and Moten said, you know, he wished that the committee would be a little bit more open-minded in the future when evaluating uh, their teams. He says some of the numbers may be skewed a little bit because they are forced to play 
so many more guarantee games than even other low major schools play. I mean, a lot of SWAC MEAC schools play up to 10 of them. Some don't. I don't think Prairie View did not play a home game against the D1 team until January 12th because they were out buying games. And a lot of them were against high majors. Some of them were against even mid-majors that would pay smaller guarantees. Um, and, and that does skew things a little bit. And I know with the way that the committee now is trying to use more advanced metrics and evaluating teams that should be offset a little bit, if not entirely. There's no one metric that's perfect, of course. But Moten did also suggest, you know, Power 5 teams or even teams from the stronger mid-major conferences are at such an advantage compared to the MEAC and the SWAC because they have so many more resources. So if that's the case, and, and remember, if you know North Carolina Central has won three uh, MEAC championships in a row now, it's going to be hard to schedule a home-and-home if you're North Carolina Central because they know you're a quality team and there's no, you know, no Atlantic 10 team wants to schedule a home-and-home with them and risk losing. That's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, what Moten was saying, we're at such a disadvantage here that why are we the ones being punished, in quotes, by sending us to date and making us play the extra game um, when, you know, there are Power 5 schools who have so many more opportunities in the regular season and aren't taking advantage of it. You know, why we have to play a perfect season almost in order to get here. They can be mediocre. So it would be more fair in Moten's eyes if you just sent the last eight at-large teams here instead. And I think that was an interesting suggestion. I think there are athletic directors and conference commissioners who wouldn't be too happy about that because that's a bit of a financial hit um, if you're only sending the at-larges here. But if you're just strictly looking at in terms of what's fair or not, um, that I, I think Moten might be onto something there. Yeah, and obviously it would kind of differ on a year-to-year basis um like in a year like this when when belmont's among those those last four teams in that get sent here you know a lot of years you're probably not going to have a second ovc team getting in the mix you're probably going to be looking at you know those middle to bottom tier like big 10 teams those pac-12 teams um some teams from the american um and he just kind of ra- he raised a really good point that it, it's so hard for them, like to schedule in the future. Like, you, we saw it happen with Loyola Chicago, and obviously they're a little in a little bit different situation than um, North Carolina Central is. But when the committee's, you know, rewarding a Power Five school for not losing, you know, these buy games, you're right that why would a team try to go out and schedule? North Carolina Central, even if there's a remote possibility of of them losing. Rick Bird he spoke about this a little bit too in his press conference before the game, um, because I, I had asked him about scheduling. Because Belmont's always good. Belmont's always it's always going to be tough for them to get a game because nobody wants to play Rick Bird in December and lose, especially if you're in the Big Ten or the Big Twelve or whatever. And he said, you know, we, we tried our hardest this year. We scheduled Illinois State, supposed to be um, an NCAA tournament caliber team. Western Kentucky, they were supposed to be an NCAA tournament caliber team. 
UCLA is UCLA. Um, and they had their home and home with Lipscomb. And as it turns out, Illinois State, Western Kentucky, and UCLA all woefully underperformed this year. Those were three wins for Belmont, and they maybe didn't count for all that much. Uh, and then, you know, they did sweep Lipscomb, and that end of the day is probably what got them into the field. Uh, the fact that they were willing to, the fact that they were able to get the games that they could get and win those games. And I, I think that does count for a lot. And then, you know, you have, like, let, let's say that Clemson and, or NC State had gotten into this field playing absolutely nobody out of conference. Well, they should have to come here and be another decent team in order to get into what you would call the first round. It, it seems only fair to me, especially since NC State was out playing, you know, 10 road games. I'm sorry, NC Central was out playing 10 road games in December. They already paid their dues. They already played the tough games that they had to play. I don't think we're bringing anything, like, groundbreaking to the table. We know that the system is it's it is shifted in favor of you know the power five the power six like it's always going to be tougher for mid-majors especially the good ones and i think both belmont and north carolina central are kind of interesting cases for teams kind of on the opposite um you know different parts of the of the spectrum you know belmont's kind of the the upper tier of the mid-majors and then you know north carolina central kind of in that that bottom tier of you know the mac and the swack or the Miak and swack now tonight you know there's only only one game featuring mid-majors because the second one is st john's and arizona state so we'll see nc central and we'll see north dakota state winner of that one will go on to play duke the tournament starts the first the first round starts on thursday um that's when we have games pretty much from noon to midnight, all day Thursday, all day Friday, the best two days of the year. We did go over our picks in the last podcast, so we won't rehash all of those. Um, but I think in the last few days, we've seen kind of who's become the trendy picks, uh, what the storylines that are developing are. Um, so I guess, Chris, I'll ask you if... I were to tell you that in two weeks we're talking about a Final Four team from a mid-major conference, and it's not Gonzaga. Who would you guess that would be? Um, I think it'd have to be one of the ones that comes out of Gonzaga's region. I I have Buffalo in my Elite Eight. I think Buffalo is completely legit. I could see a scenario in which say Gonzaga loses to a Florida State or a Marquette in the Sweet 16 and Buffalo makes a run Um, and I could even see Nevada making a run like we've seen that their ceiling as it has been all season is the final four and it's just a matter of them you know putting together and living up to that potential yeah I think I think Nevada is the most dangerous seven seed you could possibly have uh, they started the season in the top 10 nationally. And, you know, since they've lost, what, three games, four games? And three or four, and and that's it. Like, they've had really no margin for error. Every loss has dropped them a seed line or more this year. Um, and I think it's it's dangerous because we know their potential. We saw basically this team go to the Elite Eight last year. 
Um, or was it the Sweet 16? Sweet 16 last year. Right. So, But we've seen them playing the second weekend already. This team is back. Um, you know, obviously their two seed is Michigan. Michigan's really good. Like They could certainly lose. Um, but if they can win that, well, you know, then it's maybe a very beatable Buffalo team in the Sweet 16 or Texas Tech. And I, I think it is possible that you see Nevada in the Final Four or maybe Buffalo. But I do agree with you that if it's not Gonzaga and it is a mid-major, then it's going to come from that region. It's not to take any way, anything away from you know the other mid-majors in the field. It's just the path for them is significantly tougher. Like Wofford would have to go through, theoretically, Kentucky, probably Houston, maybe a, a North Carolina or a really good Auburn team. Um, Belmont would have to go through... Um, like LSU, Michigan State, Duke, um, Virginia Tech, if if they were to knock off Duke, and then um, in the the South, Virginia's in the South region. I don't know if the bracket in front of me. Yeah, there, there's not a whole lot of mid-major talent um, or high-quality teams up there. I, I could see UC Irvine winning a game. I could see you know St. Mary's winning a game, but I'm not sure if. You know, those second weekend quality teams are really quite there in any of the other regions. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and that's all to say that, you know, if there is a Final Four team, it'll probably just be one we haven't mentioned because that's just how this tournament works. Um, I will say about UC Irvine that since we last recorded, we have learned, by we I mean everybody, that this is not an exclusive thing, We've learned that Dean Wade for Kansas State will probably not be playing. Uh, So that is significant. And UC Irvine was already a popular pick. Now, maybe in Vegas they're not a favorite. But it kind of feels like they're a favorite at this point. I think outside of um, like Murray State and Belmont, I think UC Irvine's the team that I've seen um, appearing in most brackets and. I've seen them in quite a few Sweet 16s because I've, I've noticed a lot of people picking Oregon to beat Wisconsin in that 12-5 matchup and then UC Irvine advancing. And um, Dean Wade's kind of the one guy on uh, Kansas State that can really be a mismatch, especially for their front court. He's a really good passer. He can, he can stretch the floor. And UC Irvine's a really, really good defensive team, as Kyle wrote in his preview today. And, you know, without their best offensive player, I wouldn't be surprised if you know the anteaters get it done yep and then another team i guess we just touch on them quickly because i don't think they're getting a whole lot of love maybe they should uh, is new mexico state Uh, their first game i believe is auburn now i pick i have auburn going to the final four because i don't know because reasons um but i know that new mexico state is a team that is here pretty much every year, a threat to win a game pretty much every year, and they just they don't lose the games that they're not supposed to lose. And having an experienced and well-coached team like that playing in the first round in one of those 12-5 games, it always seems like maybe that could be a potential upset as well. Yeah, and when you're facing a team like Auburn that really relies on the three-point shot, a cold shooting night could 
get them in trouble really, really quick. And like you said, New Mexico State, they've been here before. They, they're they really well coached. And they, they like you said, they don't, they don't lose often. And I, I think they are – I agree with you. I think they're being a little bit overlooked. I know I haven't really given them a whole lot of thought. I think a lot of people have been more intrigued by the, the same matchup in their pod with uh, northeastern Kansas um, more so than – looking at the Aggies as potential upset picks. Yeah, there actually are a lot of teams like in the 12-13 range that could pull off an upset. Northeastern is one of them. Uh, I would say Vermont is another, and St. Louis is another one as well. St. Louis is actually a team that a lot of people are starting to pick over Virginia Tech, which which is interesting. Yeah, um, Virginia Tech's good too. Um, But it just so happens that Virginia Tech, their strength, they're the eighth best three-point shooting team in the country, 30, uh, 39%. St. Louis is one of the best teams in the country at defending the three, led by Defensive Player of the Year in the Atlantic 10, Javon Best. This might be an interesting matchup for them. They ended the uh, season red hot, winning the A-10 tournament. Seems like they finally put it together. After going through so much in the regular season, uh, guys transferring out, um, suspensions, injuries, just flat out losing games they shouldn't lose. This It seems like they got hot at the right time, like so many teams that are in the tournament. So in, in that way, I, I think they are dangerous. I didn't pick them to win the game. I picked Virginia Tech, but that wouldn't be one that shocked me if it happened. Yeah, and I think my big aversion to St. Louis has just been they struggle on offense so much and when you're facing a team as good as Virginia Virginia Tech that can really really score it um, I'm just not sure if St. Louis is going to be able to get enough points uh, up on the board the Vermont one has been interesting I I, I go back and forth on whether I think that they're going to be able to keep it close Um, Florida State's been a team that has played really well at different times this year Um, they should have beaten Duke and Tallahassee if it weren't for a last-second buzzer beater. They beat Virginia in the ACC tournament, and they're just a team that has a ton of size. And Leonard Hamilton, he's kind of one of those coaches that kind of gets overlooked throughout the year, and then you look every March and you're like, oh, look, Leonard Hamilton has another Sweet 16 to his name. And But, you know, Vermont's – they've got some a lot of talent. They keep teams off the glass – really really well um anthony lamb's one of the the better scores in the mid-major ranks um yeah every team in that like 12 13 range it wouldn't really completely surprise me if one of them did it now i don't think either of us think we're going to get another 16 over a one this year i don't think you could ever reasonably predict that that's just it sounds insane because it is insane and the one time that it did happen it was absolutely insane but occasionally, you'll get a 15 over a 2 or a 14 over a 3. So before we go, maybe I'll ask you, who, who's a 15 seed that maybe you might give a chance at winning their first round game? Is there anyone? Going off the top of my head, I would maybe I'd go with Colgate, I think. Just because I don't really have a good reason. I just think Tennessee might be the most susceptible of all of the two seats out of outside of you know Michigan State, Michigan, and Kentucky. I I, I really don't have a good reason for it. <laughs> I I know Kyle really likes Montana, even though I have not seen a second of them 
this year. So, I mean, I trust Kyle. He knows his stuff, so maybe that's my pick. I guess my reasoning would be I think Rick Barnes is the worst of the four <laughs> coaches of the two seeds. So Reasonable. Right. That's, that's, that is true. So now you might even be able to hear it in the background. The arena music is starting to play, so we should go before this becomes completely unlistenable. So we are going to jump off of here, edit this quickly, get it up, get something to eat, and then watch the last two games of the first four. Hopefully you'll listen to this beforehand. If not, you'll listen to this before the game start on Thursday. We will talk to you probably after the first round, maybe after the second round, once we are back in our homes and able to podcast with the full crew. So until then, for Chris Schutte, I'm Russ Steinberg. We will talk to you again very soon. Enjoy the